Welcome everybody to another episode of the Rule Not the Exception podcast. We have a wonderful guest in today. She is one quarter of a writing um I was gonna say duo, but force. obviously of We're force. Gang. <laughs> force. Tribe. Gang. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we have one representative of four brown girls who write. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So for anyone listening who isn't familiar with the work, is familiar with the work, fanboys, fangirls, oh, new people to it. <laughs> How would you um, describe your work, you guys as a collective? How, how would you break it down? And we're chatting to Sheena, by the way. Oh, yeah, we're chatting missed to that bit out. <laughs> Just used you as a collective, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we're just a, we're a group of friends, really, primarily. And within that, I don't really know. I mean, we, we're just mates that like writing and somehow have managed to be published. I mean, it's, it's really by accident how it's all happened like a beautiful accident but we we don't really dictate to each other at all it's a a collective in the sense that we all write what we want to write but we support each other in that we're like each other's first audience basically um whatsapp is quite a integral part of how we operate because that's how we started and life in general at the moment (laughs) and life in general but like we i i was writing like i started to write poetry but had always written abandoned it and then come back to it and started this just invited a load of my friends because I was like well we're all writing kind of thing but nobody's I've I've never heard you read I've heard you throw up in the toilet but I've never heard you read in front of me um we've done all these like mad things together but I've never heard your voice out loud speaking something that you've written um so about 50 I think it was like 15 or 20 people came on like hijacked my best friend Becky her like she'd start living on this boat in the Thames and it was just gorgeous it was just all Really atmospheric, it was like so dreamy. As you do, just living on the Thames. That's living so on the Thames, up, you know? on the, boat. the view of Tower Hill, like Tower Bridge, I mean. Um, but it was gorgeous. And you just have like the water and like the um, the steel of like everything crashing around each other. It was just amazing. We had like food and everybody was absolutely smashed. And we we're just reading to each other. But it was like a space of vulnerability. And Rosh and Sharon, I went to uni with. And uh, Sons is a friend of a friend. And we all just, we read and I was just like, I think there's some energy here. There's something here between the four of us. And I'd not really had brown women friends at all. And I was, you know, quite lost really in my 20s. And then we just started WhatsApp. We were like, we don't know what this is, but we need to be together. And it was only like three, four months after that. Uh, I had a studio in New Cross and they were doing an open studios. And I was like, guys, we're going to just perform in the evening. We're just going to turn up. And then like two minutes before we were about to do something, Rosh was like, uh, OK, I'm going to step forward. I'll read my poems. You three stand back and then we'll just switch. And we'd be like, OK. And that's just become the format for how we do things. It's it almost just... feels like the origins of a girl band. Yeah, <laughs> it does. But I mean, I went to see your um, show last year at the Star Space. Um, and and it, that was the format. Um, but what I really loved, and now hearing how it all originated through WhatsApp and stuff, you guys read it off the off your phones as well, which I think is I think it's a thing now nowadays, isn't it? That people just do that when they're reading poetry. Um, but I just found that it was just so quite symbolic, I think. And having um, for for myself, uh, who hasn't grown up in in a British Asian society, and I, I've only grown up around um, a really Westernized and, and and white society, it was really empowering to step into a space where everybody looked like me mm. or I could relate to. And we're speaking about things that I hadn't necessarily experienced, but I could definitely go, oh, I've got my version of that. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to know, uh, how was it for you? You've mentioned you didn't have a lot of brown friends growing up um, in your 20s. Uh, and uh, how, why? And, you know, where did you grow up? How did you guys come together? Well, I, I grew up in 
Harrow, which is like very uh, brown. Yeah. <laughs> Brap. Um, what does that mean? Don't it's worry. like, okay. you're just like very happy. I'm really, really um, not British. So I do, you know, I did, I've always felt, I mean, I've, I've always felt out of place. You can hear my bangles jingle, but um, I've always felt very out of place my whole, my whole life, really. Um, and just never really felt like I belong, you know, like in how I was just like, oh, this isn't really my vibe, but it's cool. But, you know, you just have to just kind what of. What was it about just, it that wasn't your vibe? It was because everybody was the same and I wasn't the same. Because it's going to turn into a therapy session. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> what, what, but so uh, the only thing I know about Harrow is that there's a hill and the, there's two polar opposites. I hills. wasn't on the top of the yeah, hill. So, we're uh, all, we're all mulchy at so the bottom of the hill. Yeah, to give you some perspective, you have Harrow on the hill, which is like super middle class. And they've got the, you know, the, the famous school. school up there uh, where, you know, the elite of the elite from the country go mm. um, alongside places like Eton and, and others around the country. And then at the bottom of the hill... Is where we all live. Yeah, you have this sort of <laughs> smaller town. What's like, in the middle of the hill? Nothing, a road. A couple of bougie coffee shops, yeah, maybe. I haven't like, been up there yeah, in yeah, decades. That's it. Oh, they've got a church. That's oh. what I do know. Oh, yeah, that church um, is But uh, yeah, so down at the bottom of the hill is like loads of little suburbs and, and towns like you have Kenton and Kingsbury and um, yeah, loads of edge. It's just, it's very like, like first generation immigrant vibe. Mm. And, and it, it, it's very... The population is very like. So, is it more about being second generation in somewhere that's very established by first, first generation? Yeah, and that's hard. Yeah, and I mean the beauty of four brown girls who write is that there is so much space, and that we we can merge these like you know, Rosh is very into jazz, and um, I'm like a basically a teenage trash bag with my musical taste, and um. But there's like spaces for all of these things. I just live, I just, with the people I was surrounded with, people I was like, whatever friends means back then, I didn't really see myself reflected there. I always wanted to express myself, didn't know quite how to do it, but was trying, you know, just kind of writing. And I was just trying to find a way to speak. And then like growing up was quite, had its difficulties because I didn't necessarily want to do what my parents wanted me to do. And what was that? Or what version, what version of happiness they thought was a version of happiness. I, you know, standard, like, be a lawyer, you know, just a whatever. It's, you know, you, everybody knows the story. Everybody knows what. The usual. The usual shit. Yeah. And um, I was like, my mum said at 16, she was like, well, you're not going to have sex until you're married. And I, like, legit turned to her. I was like, well, that's not going to happen. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's like, but it was just very, I mean, she'll forget that now because parents forget. They're like, no, I didn't do that. And you're like, yeah, you did do that because I'm traumatized. Thank you. <laughs> you have quite an open relationship with your family in that respect. You could talk about taboo subjects like that, which in the South Asian community is not very common. Well, um, this segues quite nicely into our new publication that we've got out with Rough Trade Books. Is it about the vibrator? <laughs> no, because I was there oh last year but the when you read out that poem. The best thing happened. The best thing happened. I don't know how we got here, but <laughs> let's let's roll with it. <laughs> the best thing happened. So I bought. A puff from Unbound, which is just just buy it, everybody. It's a very what? good. It's called a puff. I feel like my sister would know what it is, and I just I'm too old. It's now. just a vibrator, but somehow autofill on my phone put my dad's name. Oh no! On a package, <laughs> and I was at work, and my mum sent me a text, and she's like, "Sheena, package has come for you." I think, but I just don't, I want you to know that we opened it. I don't want you to be angry when you get home. And I was like, oh, cool. And I was like, so what was in it? And she was like, I don't know, it's just a box. And I was like, oh, fuck. 
So then you'd, it dawned that you'd made this order. I was like, order. oh God, okay, how the fuck had it, why does it have my dad's name on it? But I was like, okay, cool. And she went, it's got the word puff on it. When I went home, when I went home, <laughs> I looked inside and it's like suction vibrator on it. And I was oh, like, no. no. I was like, why do my parents always know when I get a vibrator? I don't understand. And then I told my brother like a couple of days later and he was like, oh, I was the one that opened it. We thought it was a part. And I was like, no. Oh, no. So my dad had no idea, thank God. But my mum had a lot of an idea. But I used it that evening and the embarrassment was worth it. Great. That's good to hear. Great, great. Um, I'm so <laughs> glad you were able to put it to use immediately. But it's, they have. It's really important. I mean, I saw them last year at your show and they seemed dead proud of everything you guys had done. Oh, and they sat know? in the front row. Yeah, yeah. I think your mum had bought the jalebis for everybody as well yeah, and yeah. it was handed out. Like, oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah. See, my dad went to the shop and got it. Yeah, so they nice. both paid for it. Like, they went and got it and then we, we gave them out. Um, sugar well, high for everyone. Yeah. You could do that now, could you? They'd get them in a sugar coma and then perform at them. Um, no, we've got a very, very, very good relationship. I mean, me and my mum have got a very, very, very good relationship. Um, it's something in my pamphlet. So with Rough Trade, we've got uh, these four pamphlets. I've only got mine on me, but we've got four pamphlets uh, that are kind of held in a wrap. Uh, and instead of our first book, which was published a couple of years ago, where we were kind of um, separated by chapters, but in one book. So it was like, it'd be Rosh does a poem about home. I do a poem about home, sons, Sharon or whatever, like about the body, about race, about, you know, the themes that are in it. But this one, we've each got a pamphlet. So we've all got space, you know, to express ourselves and kind it's of... It's more individualised this time around. But still a collective, yeah. um, which is, I think, really good for us. It was so scary to even think about filling like 30 pages. It was just like, oh, I can't do it. I need, I need them. But its sons really pushed us and was like, no, we can do this. I think this is necessary. Like, it will enable us to get more independence. And I think it was just, I'm so glad she did Me and Sharon were just like, no, we don't want to do it. We're really scared. But I'm so glad that that's the decision that we went with. Have you been surprised at the level of following that you guys have attained yeah. in such a short period of time? Yeah, it's, it's quite over. Because we really just look at each other. We just talk to each other. Um, so it's, it is quite, it's quite mad. I can't, I can't really connect it. It's amazing because then it means that there's other lonely girls or like other lonely people you know so it means that and I think we all say the four of us say things and we we enable it's like shadow that's what I, I said to them before I'm like this is a place for shadow work like Jungian type of shadow work where you claim things that you've um kind of rejected or had to reject in order to be accepted but it's a place to claim all of that again. It's a place to claim your voice. It's a place to like, Rosh realised she just missed bird watching. Like she used to do it. And we were like, we're here for you. Sharon bought her binoculars and I bought her a bird watching, like a tweet of the day. And like she uses those things and she's like super into birds again. And it's just like seemingly small things like that. We bring, there's a home for it. Why do you think those small things that I guess um, contribute to your identities have got lost along the way? I mean, I wouldn't attribute that to culture or the fact that we're brown. I just think every human being does that in order to gain love, to gain acceptance and to, to gain love. It's like, oh, I'll chop that bit of me. It's a bit weird because I'm in that group of people and they don't like that. I, I want to be cool. You know, I want to look like a certain way or I don't I don't really know what this is. Or I don't really understand this bit of me. So everybody does that. I don't think there's a single soul on this planet that doesn't do that. Um, but I'm just so grateful and I'm, I know how lucky I am that I've got I've got these three women who who are my you know my sisters like I don't I have a brother but 
they're actual sisters and I can say things that I'm not supposed to say like the vibrator story because I'm like I've got them man like it's fine like I don't care if you don't like me because I've got them you know like they like me they're here for me kind of thing it's like it's that you kind of go into situations knowing that you've got backup like no matter what situation you're in you know what I mean you're like there's a space for me anyway so anything else is a bonus so yeah so all these like scratchy niggly parts of you have a home and I think that's that's what's amazing and what's the anyone listening what's the time frame from when you met on that boat party to today so we met on that boat party like june 2017 um we performed i think it was like september october 2017 our first book that we did with femzine came out november 2018 we went to the fringe the summer 2019 and now we've got this rough trade publication 2020 amazing how did it feel being at the fringe uh well that was your first time everyone's first time uh no son because son is scottish so okay. she's been before but i was out for a while i don't know <laughs> i'm like i have no idea what this is but yes let's go um fucking crazy if i really think about it i don't even know why we did it like mad because We've never been, never done it, never gone. I didn't know anything about it. So it feels kind of wild that we fundraised and then went up there. But definitely, it's such a shame that, you know, it's just work and money and stuff. It's just so expensive. But it's such a shame that we couldn't stay. I think if we had stayed there for a month, we would have it would we would have got that kind of momentum because we were already I mean we'd go to shows and they'd be like, oh, you know, you show your car, your like pass. And they're like, oh, your show sold out. And you're like, mm. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd wake up in the morning and we'd be like, midday, the show would be sold out. We're like, oh, we don't even need to go flyering. So everybody just lounge. You know, we we'd had this massive banner with our name on it. So we'd do the walk to the show and kind of corral people that way. But they were so we didn't need to fly her for hours because it would just be sold out. It's, it's just, I'm so gutted we could stay there for another like couple of weeks. But I think it would have driven us mad. Also, what, we didn't have like an extra 10 grand. What do you think was it about the show that everyone that came to it, related to it, and made it so popular? Well, I mean, basically, what what was in the London show, it was different because I guess it was in a primarily white space and we're in London, the context is different. But I think, again, it, it's less about background, although, of course, that plays a part in it. And like people that were black and brown were coming to the show and, and were like, oh, I'm seeing myself reflected here. But I think there was a more deeper thing. And I think that's important. And, I, you know, I it is I can't like limit how it how important that is but I think it's more it's for me for my understanding personally I don't want to speak for the other three because they're not here um I think it's something deeper about acceptance um about saying things that you're not supposed to say like Sharon has this really amazing poem where she kind of talks I think if I'm right like talks about the sort of boredom of breastfeeding and like the, the, the boredom in motherhood and you're like cool that's fine and I, I have my own things up mine is prose and I go into a bit about my mum's relationship but it's like talking about things that you're not supposed to say and you don't even sometimes know that you're thinking I mean that's the beauty of writing and I think that's where when I didn't feel very fitted in when I was younger books were this place where I was like oh these are you know I can kind of escape in here and learn about life through books and when it comes to books, because I've had this conversation with um, my sister recently, because growing up, we felt like there wasn't a lot of books, really, mm. that had characters that looked like us or 
had our experiences. So we would try then to gain the experiences we'd read about or yeah, try yeah. and relate to those, but not quite relate to them. I wonder how you guys found that kind of growing up when you when you love literature and yet the literature you're reading doesn't, doesn't reflect, necessarily yeah. reflect you or who, or who you are. Uh, well, again, I can only speak for me, but um, me, Rosh and Sharon went to Queen Mary Uni. And I think, I mean, I'd obviously read Mira Sayal, obviously. And there was this one book called Sumitra's Story. And I would just read that over and over and over and over and over again. It was just like this girl that was a like an immigrant had come in from somewhere and was living in all of these bed and breakfast. But it was like the closest story I had to someone needing to break. And I felt like really looking back at it now, I was like reading that story to be like, okay, how do I break out of my family? Because she leaves her family in order to kind of have her own life. And I think I was just reading it to be like, okay, how do, we, how do you do this? <laughs> like this kind of like someone's done it before, even if it's in a book. Um, but there wasn't very much to connect to. Um, and yeah, you'd, you'd read those stories, but I think I was just learning about the world really through books. And then, I, and then when we went to uni, we did, well, not Sharon, but me and Rosh did post-colonial literature. And I was like, oh my God, it's just like this course, just black and brown writers. And like, my mum's from Mauritius. So, I mean, there's not really like Mauritian, I don't know if there is, but I, I've not heard of any Mauritian authors. So um, the Caribbean authors really spoke to me because the culture is very similar. Um, and the food is really similar. The vibe is very familiar. And yeah, that that was mind blowing to learn about like Sam Selvin and Jamaica Kincaid and to read Arundhati Roy and, you know, to, to like make new friends, basically. That was incredible. It was like mind expandingly amazing. And then you were like, oh, there are black and brown people that write novels. Why am I only learning this at 19? It was just so weird. Why do you think that is? I mean, and there's a lack of there's um, that kind of literature on curriculums in schools um at least when i was at school there was um but what like what do you think it's going to take for for that to change i mean i don't know if i'm the best person to answer that question but um i don't know we're in a white supremacist system so it kind of prioritizes its own voice i guess so we're all on the edges kind of being like can we have a go now <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know what it would take to change but i think change is happening i think um the black lives matter conversations that have been you know the uprising which i found so just what just watching it through my phone in america i found so disturbed i don't think i slept for about two weeks i was just so disturbed i was like this is fully in like syria or something and it was like no downtown la they're throwing tear gas at people i was like what's going on like what is happening but then subsequent to that we've had great conversations about colonialism and um anti-racism rather than diversity inclusion which i think is such a great um ref reframing but I don't I don't know what it would take to change just keep I guess things like things that just like creating what you want to see basically I mean I we never started we never started to be like to to have a following to do publications we were just we just wanted to be like oh I've written a poem and just have somebody to give feedback that's how it started it there was never this nothing that has happened we ever expected I'd, I'm curious to know because you said you write in prose right well, I wrote poetry, just, but for this, I wrote prose. Yeah. Where do you, where did you learn to write, or was it just <laughs> a you just picked up a pen, or you switched on your computer and you just sort of went with it? Where did I learn how to write? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I do know how to write. Um, I did a lot of poetry courses over the over lockdown. Uh, I did about three. 
And I was just like, oh my God, I'm at the, I thought I had a handle on this language. I just remember fe- the feeling of like, just looking up at a mountain, just being like, oh my God, there's just so much <laughs> to know and I don't know it. <laughs> how do you, how do you write? And I was writing. I don't know. I, I guess that's the great thing. You don't, yes, everyone aspires to get to the top of the mountain. But, but it was, it was not it, lesser, um, more like, how do I master this rather than like, how do I get accolade? You know, it's like, how do I really explain an experience or how do you say things without saying them, but say them? How do you make room? How do you express what you're experiencing, but then also allow room for someone to step into that sentence and step into that experience with you? You know, how do I stop saying deep and softly? Like, why do I say that so much? Like going through editing it out, you know, and understanding, oh, tenses, you can't just fluctuate tenses. I mean, Will was from Rough Trade was so good as an editor. But to, like, to think about those things, which I'd never thought about before, I, I really, I, this pamphlet taught me things about what the process is of, of creating something. I, I don't think I've ever worked as hard at, at something as I have with this. Amongst the girls, do you edit each other's work? Mm, well, we'll suggest edits, just like you would at a crit or a workshop. You'd be like, well, I wonder whether if you did da 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 da, but I wouldn't. Or some, you know, we ask permission. We're like, would you mind if I had a go at just kind of maybe redoing the line breaks or something? Maybe this bit would be better, or like it might be better if you end there or whatever. Um, or sometimes it's just to be like, I've seen you, I hear you, I've read it. You know, it was great. It's just that's enough. Sometimes you don't really need this like dissertation of like why it's great or not great. And do you guys work completely differently? Do you sort of? Are you someone who writes in a certain state of mind or a time of day compared to maybe some of the other girls? Uh, well, so Rosh and Chaz are parents and me and sons work insane jobs. Like it can consume all of our time, as does children. But um, I don't know. I think we write on our phones mostly. I've started to just write on my computer because I and then screenshot it and put it in the group because I quite like the white with the black and I find that better than... Just putting in, you know, green and the black. I don't know, it just jars me now. Um, I don't know. Well, it's just like, it's around a project, really, isn't it? it I write, I was writing in the courses. So people just write, I guess the other girls write when they want to. Um, but it's, we've just, we've decided to do one project a year. So this is our project for this year. And then we'll, I guess, have a break because we need one. Um, and then we'll do another one next year. So I guess it's kind of around a project. Um, and this, these pamphlets, they kind of just emerged, you know. I don't, I don't really know how to answer that really. But when you've got something to say, I suppose. I mean, we're all writing, really. I, I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm an expert or the girls are an expert. The point is that we're not. We we don't know. Yeah, and in terms of sort of like the the themes that you guys um, touch upon and, and have written about, has that evolved since the beginning? Like, do you start to branch out a bit more? I know you work with um, other people as well and partnered up. You had amazing guests and readers on your show last year. Yeah. How, how does that process come about? How do you reach out to people? How, how do you choose who you want to work with and what voices you want to kind of Amplify. get to the forefront? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, with the Fringe, we because we got given this hour and I was like, well, it would be really amazing to kind of gift that time and gift this opportunity and share it. Uh, so we just were kind of like casting around for people that we liked and that had, you know, supported us. And uh, Sana Asan, uh, Nadia Javid and um, Tanaka Fuego had really stuck out for us. And 
I don't know, I guess it's like who who are you reading, who do you like, who's on the scene kind of thing and it's it's very fluid. It, I mean I it's very fluid. It's just like who who are you reading or like what's what's about, you know? It's it's less like I think it's more of a sharing vibe than a we now proclaim that, you know, like, here you go and have this face. It's like, oh, who do we want to see? Like, I want to see this person too, you know. It's not, it's less like, I don't know. We, I've got this theory, I just don't like the kind of pyramid structure. You know, even even when you perform, it's like the artist and then the audience at the back. There's some sort, of, there's this full pyramid structure. It's like, well, that person's at the top because they know how to write. And everybody doesn't know how to write. Like, they're the artist, you're the kind of like consumer it's like nah man like no no one knows we're learning and it's fine like we just happen to be up we happen to be up here but because we we'd perform in a circle like we're half a circle and you're half a circle and that way is is a there's like sacredness and geometry sacred geometry and circles are very very important i think and then you know they go to roots like rama and sita he drew a circle around her to protect her and that's why we had white flower around us because it's that kind of sacred protective but democratic it's flower like you can get that anywhere um space so and that's what i learned this word called temenos and it's in my pamphlet but it's this kind of sacred area near a temple and that's what we are what type of things do you like to read are you into anything in particular or are you quite broad in terms of something catches your eye than it does yeah i mean i've got a stack of i've just given loads of i mean the pandemic has annihilated my concentration <laughs> to a, to a, just desecrated it um but i'm getting back into reading again i'm just reading this from rough trade actually i picked it up yesterday enya it's amazing and it's so beautiful um but like reading you know Ilya kaminsky Denez smith um i've got i've got a stack of books i've read um intimations with zadie smith recently which is incredible like so good tried to buy it as a gift it was sold out was that what the dream um <laughs> But she's so concise, you know, she's just like surgical knife. She's so good. Um, Since you started um, sort of writing more and more, when you read books, are you still able to sort of sit there and just enjoy them for the books and the stories or, or, or the poems that they are? Or do you end up going, oh, that's a really good technique? Or is that, do you know what I mean? Like, stop dissecting it a bit. Um, no, I end up just being like, I'll never write like that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, I love this so much. How will I ever write like this? <laughs> um, Have you ever... Um, sort of thought about going um i guess branching out to more long form well this is the, yeah my pamphlet it's a it's an essay kind of oh so that's the, the whole essay well it's Rather one than... long essay ah. why don't we why don't we tell the listeners what you're holding up yes oh it's my pamphlet called uh this is what love is and it's kind of uh it's like fragments that i've documented over last year um so it's kind of like a memoir essay but not because it's a now moi because it's only last year and i don't it's not really nostalgic in any sense it's just kind of a documentation does it trickle into pandemic time at all or is it mainly no because it's all it's just basically i mean it kind of leaks into this year but it's mostly pre-pandemic but we were right you know we were it's a product of the lockdown because we were working on it through lockdown because how was it collaborating over lockdown oh my god so stressful Stressful. Yeah. <laughs> lots of WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah, it's just we weren't, obviously weren't together, but lots of Zooms. Well, the project because we were supposed to launch just before the pandemic, we were supposed to get a bunch of funding as well to help us promote it, and that all went up in smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then it just died because, you know, it was super traumatic. I mean, it really felt like apocalyptic, didn't it? It was just like, you couldn't even get basil in the supermarket. It was just mad. Basil and toilet roll. Basil. No, but it was just like, oh, we want to, you know, you just like, can't get yeah, things that you want. It was like, you, you know, it was, yeah. oh, like, we can't get basil. You know, it was just oh, we're like, we have to, I don't know if we'll get flour. You're like, well, what century are we in? Are we in 2020? And I'm like, bartering a flower. It's so weird. It was just so bizarre. It was so nuts. It, it died. And then, and then we were kind of like, okay, what, we need to get this off the ground. And then in like May, we kicked it back up again. It was like two months of it just, we were just like, I, don't, I just don't know what's going to happen with this. Will we have the money? Would even rough trade books even be a thing? Um, yeah, nobody really knew. But I'm really grateful that that it's here and it's happened. I think it's, I'm just so glad that these pamphlets, the four of them exist. Like when we looked at it, we were like, what, how is this, how is, through this really awful year, how, how has this come out of this awful year? Does that give you confidence in kind of, I mean, it sounds like you guys have confidence in your voice already, but confidence to step forward even I mean, you say things like, oh, I can never write that well. But I mean, you've got proof <laughs> right there in bright pink in that bright you pink. totally can. But I think I think it's important to hold on to that. Like, you know, if you start being like, oh, I'm too nice and sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, well, I've written a pamphlet. You know, it's just like I think it's important to always feel like you're learning because you are. We are. We are always learning, I think. And I think it's I would always want to be looking up to someone, I, you know, have the sort of. I don't want to hold anybody up as a hero, but you want to be able to do what you're doing well and you want to learn from people who are doing it well. And I think as soon as you think, oh, I can do this, then what's the point of doing it, really? You want to, The whole point is it's a searching, isn't it, right? Anything creative, it's, I think, to me, it's a, you're asking a question and the making of it is an attempt to answer that question um, in whatever way that is you um i'm sitting here talking to you and i i sort of you come across as an incredibly confident person oh my god <laughs> has that always been the case is no it something... i'm horrendously i've got such low self-esteem okay. <laughs> um but nice to know i look <laughs> like i'm confident but then no. do you channel that in your writing do you feel as an outlet uh whatever you're what? feeling confidence yeah or whether you're feeling what you're feeling with your esteem levels and yeah, your confidence and are you able to channel all of that or do you sort of, you someone who sort of keeps it quite tight inside? No, I'm not a person that keeps anything tight inside, but um, confidence. I think, you know, I just did a lot of thinking about myself, like not in a kind of narcissistic way, but it's just like, okay, there's some things about you that are a bit difficult for other people to get along with. So we're going to use the lockdown as a way to like, really, let's confront you, you know? Wow. And, um, you did that alone? Well, you know, you're just like, I was kind of having Zoom I'm in therapy. Um, but, we're, you know, everybody's in therapy, but like just kind of therapy. And then I was just doing a lot of like reading and like, you know, attachment theory. And then I was doing uh, pranayama breathing over Zoom with um, uh, this wonderful woman I know called Nats Armitage and you know it it was really interesting to explore the sense of like how to express trauma or how to express grief uh, with outside of words even though I'm someone who loves words but it's like some things can't be expressed some things are outside of language and then language is the attempt to encompass um, that experience and it was it was 
interesting going at it that way rather than cerebrally trying to be like, oh, well, when I was 10, it was, the, or, you know, whatever. Or, Last year was this, that and the other. It was like, how do you move? How do you embody, move it through your body and then process it rather than try to understand it and it all's just stuck inside? Um, do you find that sometimes uh, you could, because words have so much power and are so descriptive that you can almost afford to not quite feel it in your body yeah. because you can put it into the words and, and kind or, of... Or I think a, a, way. a way of like putting it into words is like disassociating mm-hmm. in a way, you know, like... There's a way of like talking about things that I think you can not really connect to what it is that you're talking about. And I think when you really feel something, you know, I could tell you, I won't, but I could tell you a story of like something that happened to me, something horrible, say, but because I tell you like, like a shopping list, I'm not really connecting to it, but there's a kind of, kind of sitting and a seeping in that experience and then me speaking from it. But that means that you have to like sink into your body and it, and for brown girls i think is an embodied experience it's a very present experience uh, and i think that it's it's a space for healing and i think that's that's at the heart of us is that this is a space for healing um this is a space to reckon i think what's incredibly inspiring is that in in a time and a culture where they sometimes is the feeling that there can only be one. There's a sense of unity with the four of you guys going, no, no, we're coming together. Like it or not, we're coming together. And and I think that's incredibly uh, just uplifting that you, you do that with each other. And I think it's I think it's something that people can take away um, and hopefully use as inspiration for their own lives. I think it's great. I'd love to know your um, perspective on culture at the moment, whether it be um, poetry, film, TV, theatre. How do you, what are your thoughts on what you're seeing or reading at the moment? Well, that that whole only be one. I mean, that was such a in Master of None. That was like such a great episode. And also, it's like flies in the face of. I mean, the whole title for Brown Girls Who Write. It's like it's, it is the you know kind of play on that idea that we're all the same. But actually, when you, you know even with the pamphlets, like you open up the wrap, you see these four very individual voices, these four different experiences, sometimes of the same thing, sometimes two ends of the same thing. But also, it's it it goes against that kind of oh, we've got our diversity quota. Um, so we don't we don't need any more stories, and it's like well, there's four of us, and all four of us are talking differently. So yeah, I mean, unintentionally has meant that there's space for that. Well, as for culture, I mean, I think on screen it's it's great. I work in the film industry. Um, I think on screen the diversity is great, it, and I, the industry is working to change that behind the camera. I think it's slow, but it's happening. But I think the there's a gaze, I think, and that's the thing that is interesting to ex- experiment with is who tells the story, what story are you telling, um, who's in the story. I think we've got who's in the story pretty locked down, but it's like who's telling the story. Do you feel like there's um, still a lot of fear about giving that gaze away from the perspective that people are so used to seeing it from? Um, whereas, I mean, it would be nice if people were excited about it, but I kind of feel like there's so much resistance yeah, but then I think you kind of got to kick the door down, really. I mean, I it's doing it. I think it's it's less like bargaining and being like, "Well, I'm just doing it." Like we're just doing it, whether you want it or not. It's happening, I think. And being like, "Can you?" You know, this is the kind of diversity inclusion thing. It's like, will you let us in rather than we'll take it or we'll create our own vibe over here and it'll be better than your vibe. Keep up. 
yeah, well, yeah, like we've already we've got something going on over here, and it's and it's cool. Why don't you come over to us? You can be a guest in our house rather than us ask to be a guest in yours, and then you know just kind of like I don't know, be sidelined or whatever. I don't know. I I don't I don't really know if I can speak to that except with four brown girls. We just sort of did it. There's just people doing it. You know, you don't see it, do it. It's kind of that kind of thing. What were you doing before? Like if if you didn't go to that boat party and you guys didn't set up that WhatsApp group, where do you think you'd be right now? Oh, who knows? Who knows? It's a it's a deep, deep dream realised though, this project. I think for all of us. Sharon keeps being like, Oh my god, my name is on something. <laughs> like I can't believe my name is on something. I've read that, like I don't even read it. Some people just like hold it and look at it and I'm like, Did I really do that? Like, how did I do that? Well I can I do it again? Like very much like I, I'm not an expert. I don't. I wouldn't claim to know more than anything anybody else. I'm as shocked as anybody else that this is happening. Like I, I don't know. If we weren't, I'd be really lost. And I, I'm glad I'm not in an alt- alternate reality where I'm not doing this. And this has this has happened. I'm glad this has happened. Sounds like there's a bit of imposter syndrome there. Yeah, massive. I mean, come on, mate. Everybody's good. <laughs> yeah. I guess everyone does have that to an extent. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. You're right. Do you feel it? Do you feel imposter syndrome? Yeah, 100%. I think everyone does to an extent. It's that sense of feeling like, yeah, someone's going to one day out. tap you on the shoulder and go, we found out. Come on, let's go. Let's get rid of you. I, I think, I mean, I have. We. I mean, we all do that. I. But I think four brown girls is a very validating experience just to be a part of it and i do feel it's it's less i think it's less like impossible with this especially it's like you know this is my heart on a page essentially this is all like my crooked broken bits and i try to make it sound beautiful so it's less that it's just i can't believe that i worked so hard at it and it paid off and that really in my wildest dreams that we would have got the reception that we have for these that I that I would have written something that is true but beautiful and that has enabled other people to be like you know just you know I've get I've had a couple of DMs just being like oh I've never seen that written down and um that's just really nice to see I I have that experience it's just nice to see it and you're just like this is what I think about my heroes so I can't even believe that people even my friends it's like I can't even believe that you're saying this about me it's 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 not it's less impossible it's just like is this really happening like can I, can I, re- are we doing this? Like, <laughs> Does it drive you to keep going with the next one and the one after that and the one yeah, after that? Yeah, I, I just, I think it's beautiful what we're doing and I'm not doing it for anybody other than them and myself. And that's massively, you know, validated when you have um, a friend of our podcast, um, Nikesh Shukla, who speaks so highly of you guys. Does it help having someone like that sort of, you really champion you guys. Yeah, he's like our uncle. <laughs> I don't know if he'll like that or not. Uncle. He I told me know. he said that. He was like, I'm everyone's uncle. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's always been a massive champion of us. And um, I mean, The Good Immigrant was just seminal, wasn't it? And Absolutely. So amazing that he did it kind of in the same vein. Like, I'm just going to get my friends together and we're going to do this. And so there's a lot of resonance between that and us. Um, and, you know, t- to have someone like that kind of tell, you know, say, you know, for you to say that, about, that he said that about us is, it's so great. It's so great. You know, when we were um, looking to, to get people on and I was speaking to Nikesh about a couple of guests and he was like, listen, you've got to get these lot on. 
I was like, we haven't got four mics in the studio. <laughs> yeah. It was like, do what you can. If you can get them on, get them on. So, no, he's uh, he spoke incredibly highly of you. And I imagine that just, you know, if you're saying that you're sitting there and feeling that low self-esteem, I'm sure there are days when he's messaging you, telling you stuff that you go, actually, you know what? Maybe I do own a place it's, it's in this. Less like, it's, not lo- it's like, yeah, low self-esteem says you get like into tricky situations with people that you probably shouldn't get into situations it's like that kind of thing like you know and that's like roots in your background but when when it comes to when it comes you know you just think you're like i'm trying you know you're not doing it like you're not writing the way that you 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 know that you can or that you know how to and you're only really writing within the parameters of what you know and it's like how do you push against that can you believe in yourself enough to push against what you know into what you don't know and come out of the other side of that whether technically, spiritually, emotionally. Um, and it's, you know what, we're not trained. There's nothing trained about us. We're not, we didn't, we weren't taught. We don't teach. So it's like we're like everybody else. It's like, you know, we're, we're, just, we're with everybody else. Like there's, there's, it's democratic in that sense. Like we're democratic as a four. We vote on things. Like nobody makes a decision for anybody else. There's space for disagreement. We've got very good at holding space for each other in that in that way especially with this project i think we've really come into ourselves and we're all really active participants in whatever we do but i wouldn't say that anybody who buys our pamphlets is any more or less aware of how to write than we are just because we're published do you know what i mean even though that sounds like a dick response but there, there was this comment over lockdown some somebody sent us like a posted up our zine and was like i was thinking about writing and i wasn't sure if I could, but then I got this scene and I realised that all I have to do is just do it. And you're like, that's it, that's it. It's just do it. It's just right. It's not anything other than like, you just do it. That's that's the only expertise that we have is that we do it. Our mistakes are out there. That's fine because we're learning. It's like a an evolving process rather than like, we're up here, you're down there and we're, we're going to tell you what this is. It's like, we're healing together. We can, maybe we're lighting the way but we're all in this together. There's, I think that's why the events are so joyous and because we're celebrating each other and you're celebrating your vulnerabilities and you're celebrating vocalising what hasn't been said because who said it? Who has said it before us? We're saying it for the first time. Our parents didn't come to this country thinking, I'm going to change culture, did they? They didn't. They came here to survive and create a life for us and we're the ones that have the privilege of being like I think I want to start a podcast I think I want to write a book you know (laughs) I'm going to verbalize my experience because I don't see myself in that culture there's a privilege in that in not having to be like no dogs no wogs no Irish you know there's a it's a different kind of racism that we experience but it's, it's not that kind of racism we have the privilege of asking the question of like who am I who am I in this and I don't know if our parents have ever asked that I mean my parents haven't until I started asking that of myself and then the learning and the it goes back you know so, so suddenly you're a child being like mum do you know about inherited trauma why did you never learn how to say no because now I don't know how to say no you know it's like that kind of thing um having sort of explored through writing and, and obviously therapy as well are you able to have those conversations and and explore their experiences and learn from that as well now yeah I mean, I mean my mum for sure yeah for definite um yeah, after the after the after the year I had last year, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I was asking a lot of questions of her and of myself, 
But I think it, it. I mean, we have such a great relationship now. She's like my best mate, and I can tell her anything really, in a way that I think we thought we had that relationship when I was a preteen, but but didn't really. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of rage and a lot of pain in her. You know, within her that wasn't expressed, that wasn't allowed to be expressed, whatever. And then that's kind of inflicted on you in a way that I. Not that she was abusive, but it's it's just that. You know, it's outside of your conscience, kind of. There's unconscious drivers that that you're not even aware that you're doing because they're outside of you. So yeah, it's like under underpinning beliefs about who you are. Like she would think she has no power, and she would walk into situations thinking, "I have no power," and people would put upon her, and then that frustration would come out in other ways. You know, there's it's all of these. She's so chill now. She's so calm, but it's having. But you have everybody has to do that work. But they've our parents. I don't think have ever been taught how to do that. It's a luxury to sit there and be like, oh, I'm going to fart out a few thoughts here about trauma, you know? It's it's a luxury that they didn't really... They were told what to do, and they did it. They came here because they wanted a better life for their kids, and they did that, you know? It wasn't... It's like the formula that they wanted for us is the formula they followed. Do you think there's still a, a percentage of society that is still doing that? They're following what their parents want them to do, well, especially yeah. in the South Asian culture. Mm. You know, how many people maybe between us that we'll know from Harrow and the surrounding areas that have gone into certain jobs that deep down they may not want to be doing, but they know it's quote unquote the right thing to be doing. Well, that speaks to acceptance, doesn't it? Yeah. And and being able to self-actualize, which again is is difficult, I think. And I think if you're able to do what it is that you deeply want to do, it's a product of where we live. You know, if we were in India... Or in Kenya, where my dad, you know, my dad is, is Indian Kenyan, would he have, you know, and he had a kid there, would that kid have been able to do what I'm doing right now? Probably not. It's probably because I'm in England that this is possible and that I'm able to ask those questions and I'm able to be like, no, 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 I don't want the, this career, I want that one. You know, there's a certain privilege in that, I think. When your uh, parents come to the show and then, you know, you maybe talk about it afterwards, do they, do they need to... Do they ask questions about it? Is there things they don't get that you have to maybe, or they sort of... No, I think, um, especially like the, the, the London show, I don't even know if they knew I was reading a poem about a vibrator last year. <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of like skims. Like, my mum was recording it and my best mate was recording her recording us. And she was like, does she know what you're saying? I was She's like... She's just recording with pride. She's not even listening. <laughs> but you know, like parents just sometimes don't hear things. You know, you like you say things, yeah. they just don't hear it. And you're just like, it's funny. No, we don't talk. They're proud, but they don't get it. Um, my my mum now gets it. But... I was going to say, do you want them to get it, or you're happy with them just being there? Well, part. I mean, are there, they, you can do it, and you know, I mean, so many of us have probably lived a life in secret, uh, and we all, you know, especially South Asians. I think we've all had a life. We're all good at keeping secrets, and we're all good at having a double life. And not re- and keeping things compartmentalized and being like, well, this is my outside life, and then this is who I am at home. And I think asking our parents to come to those things is well, my parents and Rosh's parents came as well. Um, is an attempt to kind of make that whole and to incorporate, you know, to see them in your kind of more friends Western life, because really our parents don't really leave the home. They go to other people's houses, you know, they don't go to like art galleries and shit like that, and, like nights out. Um, I mean, the parents I know. So I think it's a, an attempt to, to wholeness. But why do you think we compartmentalise? Because it sounds like 
I could be wrong, but you, you're saying you've grown closer to your mum in the last, what, 12, 18 months? Yeah. Is that fair to say? Mm. So are we almost underestimating our parents by doing that? Because it sounds like, from your experience, by letting her in, actually you grew closer. Well, it came with a fuckload of arguments and a lot of um, difficult conversations. It wasn't easy. I, I dedicated, I've dedicated, we all dedicated our pamphlets to each other without even speaking to each other. And I say to my mum, it's dedicated to my mum as well. And it's like to my, my fierce, fiercest opponent and my friend. It's a perfect description of her. She was like, I could have fucking killed her when I was younger. I would have been quite happy to kill her. It was either her or me. It was like a fucking battle. And uh, our relationship has been trying to get to a place of peace. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't enforce that on anyone. It's hard. It's difficult. You're fight. You're not just fighting that person. You're fighting centuries of tradition and of what has been what everybody you know is doing. So it's difficult. And so yeah, the easiest path is to just fit in and and do what you're told and do what you're told will lead you to feel part of a community because who wants to be excluded from that? It's such a difficult path to to be on the outside and being like, okay, I'm going to be outside of outside. I'm going to be outside the house looking in, you know, but I'm going to follow my own path. There's value in that, but I will not be accepted by the people who birthed me, you know, who were born of me. And I have to go and find acceptance elsewhere. It's, it's difficult. Um, I'm so great. You know, I've, I've got other friends as well, apart <laughs> the three of us, but um, I'm so glad that I've got the girls, like sons, Russian, Sana, it's a gift. It's a gift. We've made a gift. We've made something that is a gift. But yeah, it's difficult. No, it sounds like you and the girls and, you know, your own respective lanes have been on quite a journey to get to this point. And it seems like such a moment to be proud of. Yeah, um, definitely. I guess the question is, what's next? What, what's on the horizon <laughs> for you guys? I think we're all just like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just been like a collective collapse. <laughs> Um, celebratory collapse. I don't know, to be honest. Couldn't tell you. But one project a year, so we definitely will have something to Hopefully, next Hopefully, fingers year. crossed, we have something next year. Um, we have one final question. Yes. Um, which is a spin on a question we ask everybody. <laughs> but in your group of four, in your personal, unique opinion, <laughs> what's the best part of it? Is it sitting down at the very start of your yearly projects or whatever you're doing at that moment and just sort of throwing ideas out there, that first initial concept, or is it the doing of it, like the writing, the throwing it backwards and forwards, um, getting it edited, or is it that pink book right there that you're looking at, the product? It's our friendship. So it's none our friendship. Of <laughs> none of those things. It's our friendship. It's the fact that I've even got a space where I can do all of this. And it's, um, it's that I've got friends that I create with. And actually, we're not even creating, we're just having a laugh. Like, we did this... We did, um, a, me and Sharon did a show on Soho Radio. It's literally just, we, on our, off our phones, and it's literally just us, exactly how we hang out. I mean, obviously stylized to a degree because there's songs and there's like, we do readings from our pamphlets and then other people's, but it's literally just us talking and hanging out. And the fact that that is something creative, where it's just us being ourselves, it's for sure the connection between the four of us. Everything else is a bonus. That's an amazing way to... <laughs> to end the session where can uh, people find you guys you're on social media how can they find out some more information 
Uh, so we're on uh, Instagram at Four Brown Girls Who Write. We're on Twitter um, just recently. Um, it's at Four Brown Girls WW. Um, you can buy our pamphlets from Rough Trade Books, and they're at Rough Trade Books. Um, yeah, and they've got a website, and you can just buy it off them. Amazing. Sheena, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank it's you. been an absolute pleasure. And uh, hopefully in a post-COVID world, we can do this with, with all, four. all four of you. you know? Hopefully. Thank really you. Uh, thank you for being on the Raw Not The Exception podcast.